Let's say a word of prayer and we'll dig in. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for uh, how you meet us here, these appointed times where you have set aside to meet us as your people, as we worship you and receive your gifts. Bless us now, Lord, as we study your word and delve more deeply into the book of Leviticus and how you continue to teach us about how you have claimed us as your own and bestowed on us every good and blessed thing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So, Leviticus chapter 23, and uh, as we're getting started, uh, these are, I'm not doing a field, uh, some pictures from our trip to Disneyland, uh, but I want to talk, I want you to imagine a visit to Disneyland, and uh, this was actually a research that was done where people were asked to score their experience of their visit to Disneyland, and what they had to do was they had on, like, I don't know, a pager, or maybe just their phone, and they were asked periodically throughout the day, on a scale of one to 10, how much fun are you having right now? This is, this is really interesting. So like start out nine o'clock, you're just cattle herding the kids out of the hotel room, but you know, people are excited, that's a six. 10 o'clock, riding It's a Small World, still there, five. Right? Space Mountain, 11 o'clock, 10, awesome. Expensive park food, but it's tasty. At noon, give it a seven. One o'clock, waiting in line in 96 degree heat, three. Two o'clock, buying mouse ears on the way out, eight. All right, so how would this day, how would this day score overall? Now, what we would normally think to do is you just tabulate all of these, six and five is 11, 10 is 21, seven is 28, Three is uh, 31 and eight is 39. Divide that by six and the score is about, you know, a little bit more than six, right? Six and a half. That's what we would, we would think, that's the, what the average is. But in fact, uh, the research shows that most people would score this day as a nine. And why is that? It's because there's two moments in particular that tend to stand out for us. And they've discovered this with uh, Disney World, but it, it translates to other aspects of life. We don't just kind of average everything out. You tend to take the peaks and the end. Okay? So what, if you went on that, that trip, what you would remember is not the standing in 96 degree heat so much, although you might remember that. Um, but it's going to be Space Mountain, that 10, and then getting the mouse ears on the way out, the 8. The average of those two is a nine. Just the way that we tend to experience things, and this is why I think I've said this before, just another trade secret, right, for pastors. What's the most important hymn in the service? It's the last one, yes. It's the sending hymn. This is something I learned early on as a pastor. Like, if all the other hymns are just real, I'm sorry to say this, they're all good and they're in the hymnal, but if it, you know, if you pick kind of a real, you know, dunker with, yeah, with the other ones. But at that last hymn, oh, that's a good one. Then everybody's like, boy, wasn't there great music today? Um, but I know, I, I should just stick with Abide With Me each week and we'll, we'll be fine. Um, but I bring all this up to say, when you think of your own life, what are some moments that stand out? When just off the top of your head, what are moments that stand out? Your wedding day. Yours too? Okay, good. <laughs> the children. Yep, birth of children. What else? Eating cheesecake and coffee with your son. Eating cheesecake and coffee with your son. Oh, wow. That sounds good. Confirmation. Confirmation. When you were confirmed, or you mean in help, help Yeah, when you were confirmed. 
Yeah. Other moments? Yeah, Laura. First car. First car. Yeah. I, I remember mine actually when we were down visiting my folks last week. I drove and past the spot where I first spotted my first car, 1997 Volkswagen Golf. <laughs> Sitting in the, the front yard. I was like, and this was the spot. She's like, wow, how interesting. <laughs> I love these field trips with Ryan. Um, yeah, good. Other moments that stand out? Yes, Andy. Because mm. it's like 30 years ago, wow. 40 years ago. But I struggled and struggled and struggled, and I couldn't lift the mask. And it was just, I mean, I was crying. I was so mad. Yeah. And one day, I got it, and it, I hooked the wind. Yeah. And I shot it. <laughs> and I went, did you cry again? Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I will never forget that. Never forget it. Yeah. It's that moment of, of wow. triumph. Yeah. There's another, yeah, Hans. Uh, two to stand out. Uh, all the times I spent in the hospital. Oh, yeah. Uh, those always, and all the backpacking trips and hiking and camping. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of the way that that time works, and our experience of time works is that a lot of it is just kind of moving along, but then it's punctuated by these these moments. And actually, I should say it can be those peaks, but it can also be those pits, right? Uh, what we remember are the really high moments and the really low moments. Um, but then there's a lot of stuff that just kind of goes in between. Actually, it reminds me of, um, I think it was Alfred Hitchcock who was talking about how he makes movies or what a movie is. And he said, a movie is life with all the dull bits cut out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but what we remember, what we tend to remember are the, you know, the, those things like as though our, our life were a movie. We tend to forget a lot of the, the dull bits. Uh, God knows how we are. He made us how we are. And I think this is part of why he gives us this gift of, of sacred time, sacred calendar, and these feasts. And that's what Leviticus chapter 23 is all about. It really stands alone in the book of Leviticus, where it's a self-contained kind of focus and theme in this chapter on these, these feasts of the Lord. So go ahead and turn there. And uh, I'm just briefly gonna, going to say a little bit, number one on your handout, about time, how time is a good gift of God. I would rhapsodize about this a lot more, but I did that on Ash Wednesday also. Um, and actually, I considered using Leviticus 23 for our reading for Ash Wednesday, but then I thought, you know, we're talking about time. I don't want to give them a pit when we're having, a, you know, it takes five minutes just to read uh, one of the readings. So didn't have that, saved it for today. But time and the gift of time is really rooted in creation. And in, uh, in the book of Genesis chapter one, I want to take a look at this because um, this is, one of those, maybe one of the days of creation that um, is overlooked. We don't fully grasp the significance of this. All right. So here we are, Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 14, on the fourth day of creation. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. We're told that in creation, God has created us and he has given the the stars and the moon he's given um, these lights in the sky 
for the purpose of signs and seasons in order that we might have this kind of rhythm built into us as human creatures. And I was reflecting on this this week, as perhaps you guys were too, that this week was kind of the, the unofficial two-year anniversary of, of COVID starting, right? It was during that week, the moment that I remember was when they canceled the Big Ten basketball tournament. And I was like, oh, this is getting serious. Um, and in those, those uh, first you know, days and weeks of the pandemic and the lockdown, um, you know, there were a, a few concerns that really jumped out for people. The first one was just the uncertainty about the virus itself and, and all of that. The second one was the isolation, that sense of being separated from one another. But the third one that you kept hearing over and over again was people saying, and I experienced this and you probably did too, just a loss of rhythm, right? Losing that, that sense of time where it was like all the days just kind of bled into one another. You lost that sense of, of rhythm. And I think that was a natural thing to do because God has created us to be timely creatures and to live according to a rhythm. This is part of why he gives us the gift of seasons. Now, again, Northern Michigan didn't catch the memo about seasons. Uh, like we're ready for spring to come here. Um, God just laughing at us. Um, but what do you guys like or dislike about seasons? When you think about seasons and this, this gift of God, what's something that you like or appreciate or something that you don't care as much for about seasons. Yeah, Esther. Oh, it just gives you something new to look forward to. Okay, it gives you something new to look forward to. Sure. It's kind of like the cycle of life. There's death and, and resurrection. Death and rebirth. Yeah. yeah. That cycle of life and resurrection. Good. Yeah. yeah Up here, particularly, it's just how the beauty changes. Really does. Oh, it's incredible. But yeah. Every season's in remarkably beautiful. Yep. Uh, something else comes out that isn't there before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got a nice book I'm reading through right now by Jerry Dennis. He's kind of a, a nature writer. He's based in Traverse City. And the book's called Up North in Michigan. And he has essays for each of the four seasons. Uh, it's a real nice nice read. Might pick that up. Yeah. I don't like the cold. Okay. But I love the snow. You know, just the new fresh snow. Right. And You're like Olaf, and right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Were you going to add something? Yeah, up here, winter is like cloudy and snowy. Right. So it really makes you appreciate yes. summer because yeah. it's yeah. sunny. The place is beautiful. We yeah. earn our summer, don't we? Yes. <laughs> All two yes. weeks. All two weeks. Both weeks of, of summer. Um, no, I, uh, my, my first call, is, as you know, as Pastor knows, was out in California and in uh, the coast of California. And a lot of people will say, oh, that's the ideal climate, Mediterranean climate. And like all year long, it's between, I would say, 50 and 70 or 45 and 65, the whole, the whole year round. And oh, it's, it's perfect. And maybe for some people it is. But for me, coming from a, a four-season climate, it kind of drove me nuts. Because it just felt, felt a little monotonous in some ways. <laughs> and also, I'll say this, maybe this was just me. But if you don't get a winter, you don't feel like you ever have a rest, a break, right? I think God's given us winter to have a rest. Yeah. California people are like, go, 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 year-round. You guys get yeah. that. But, happened to us this year because I'm a little short on firewood because I thought I had a little more time to collect it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When winter comes, you're done. Robin it's, 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 it's all Robin? Yeah, right there. See? Spring is yeah. coming. Is there a Robin? 
what I did like about this time of year to right. sit out on our deck with a glass of wine at 10, 10 p.m. and yeah. not have any mosquitoes. It was yeah. a nice feel. There is that. There is that. Well, seasons, time, it's a good gift of God. But what we have with the feast days in particular is feast days are like temples in time. So God gives the tabernacle and later the temple to set aside holy space that uh, amid all of, of creation, all of this physical world, that there's going to be this space that is set apart and holy. He does a similar and analogous thing when it comes to time, that within all of time, there is a, a temple in time or, or a sanctuary in time of the feast days and the Sabbath in particular. The Sabbath kind of sets the, the paradigm, the template for all of the other feast days. And I think this is the best way to, to kind of understand it. So that when God says in Leviticus 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Um, so that word uh, appointed can be otherwise translated as meeting. And it's the same word that's used to describe the tabernacle. The, the tabernacle is the ohel moed. Okay? The uh, tent of meeting, the tent of meeting. And uh, in, when it comes to the Sabbath and these feast days, um, they are also, instead of appointed places, they're appointed times. It's like a sanctuary or a temple in time. Uh, now, I set out this, this table. Again, this was a, a theme that I talked about in the Ash Wednesday sermon, but just to, um, to kind of make it explicit, this really illustrates that distinction of the... Two Greek words, not Hebrew words, but two Greek words for time. The one is kairos, and the other one is chronos, okay? So a kairos time, these appointed times, is infinite. It's not uh, merely finite as chronos is. Kairos is measured more in terms of seasons or the, fulfill, the fullness of time versus chronos, which is measured by the clock and the calendar. Kairos is that sense of qualitative time. Whereas chronos is quantitative, the time that we measure and try to divvy up and save and so forth. Chronos, sometimes people call it real time. This is happening in, in real time, time as we're just experiencing it. Or again, kairos is that appointed time. Plato had this uh, beautiful des description of time as the moving image of eternity, that within the present, we're always receiving a foretaste of eternity and what's to come. Whereas Henry Ford once described time and history as one darn thing after another. <laughs> uh, and that's a very different kind of perspective on time. But I think that's one that is commonly reflected in uh, just a worldly viewpoint. You know, there is no time. It's just no real meaning or, or freight to it. Something about Kairos, too, though, it, it always breaks into Chronos. Yes, that's right. And it's... It, it literally breaks in, in a sense, to reset your clock. Yeah, I like that. Chronos, or Kairos breaks into the Chronos in order to reset the clock, to kind of, you know, smelling salts, right? To sort of awaken us to the reality. And it can happen at any time, right? You never know when God's going to break in and awaken you to that, that kind of heavenly, heavenly time. Is there a hand over here? Uh, one thing I don't really understand, and it was from Einstein, yeah. Time is a thing. I it's just there. You measure it. It's what I see. Yeah. But 
He said the time can be speeded up and slowed down. Right. And that just goes right over my head. Right. I don't see time as a thing. Right. We don't think of time as a thing. It's like it's just it's just there, but it is, right? I mean, it's, again, it's part of uh, a gift of God. It's that kind of fourth dimension that we that we dwell in. Yeah. Um, the, the verse you read from Genesis. Yeah. That's that's what God tells us the definition of time. He invented time. Right. And it started right there. Yeah. So, you know. He tells us what it is. That's right. Yeah, you can have philosophers say all kinds of things. Right. But that was the real definition of time. Yeah. A day and a night. Yeah. So, yeah. And he dwells outside of of time too. And this is another thing that's so hard for us to wrap our mind around too. To think, yeah. wait a second, how is that possible? But to God, there is no past, present, and future, right? It's all is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. All of it is is true in Him. So, Esther, were you going to add something? No. Okay. Just. Um, okay. So this is just to kind of set that stage for our perspective on time. Now I want to go through each of these feasts, and um, we can spend as much or as little time with each feast, the ones that interest you more. A couple of them we've, we've talked about um, at length in other chapters, but especially to see how they are fulfilled in Jesus and in the New Testament. First of all, you've got the Sabbath, Shabbat. This is just verse 3 here. The six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Okay, so Sabbath, the Hebrew word for it is Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat, Shabbat. which means literally stop. Okay, that's what it means. It just means stop, cease, cut it out, all right? And this is what, what God is saying to his human creatures is, look, you guys are always toiling, always going. You need to stop. You must chill. Uh, and it's there rooted in creation. Going back to Genesis chapter 2, uh, after six days, God saw all the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. What's interesting is within the Old Testament, it gives two other reasons or rationale for the Sabbath. So you have that rationale from uh, recalling the gift of creation, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, let's just take a look at that. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, it gives a different rationale for the Sabbath that's rooted more in redemption. Deuteronomy 5, starting with verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, etc. Um, you shall remember, verse 15, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here, the Sabbath is rooted in redemption, the fact that you've been claimed by God. Yeah, listen. I think our brains are sort of hardwired to the fact that we have to go, 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 go. Yeah. Now, a couple of weeks ago, both of us were having back problems. Yeah. We didn't come to church because of it. Right. And we just sat there all day doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, I couldn't do anything. Right. And it's like, I know I should be doing, I know yeah. I should be doing something. Right. I feel like I should be doing something. It's so hard. And, you know, the guilt. 
Sure, right. And then you go, wait, you are doing something. You're <coughs> resting like you're supposed to be. Yes, right. So it, it doesn't come naturally, though. No, it doesn't. No, that's why God needs to give a commandment over and over and over again saying, stop already. Stop. Yeah, Hans, were you going to add something? Yeah. Um, can you define what work is? Because this is one of the problems that the Pharisees had. Oh. Uh, and they, you say, what is work? Well, uh, you can only take 50 steps that direction. Yes. Unless right. you stop and eat a sandwich. Then you can take another 50 steps. Right. Or whatever their rules were. You know, it's like, is it do things that are fun for you? Yes. I know people, I like to cut wood and things like that. That's fun for me. Right. Is that work? Is that work? Right. Uh, this is where I think it's helpful, actually, how Luther kind of reinterprets the third commandment because he takes it in a different direction, kind of an unexpected direction. So in uh, the third commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping holy. What does this mean? It says in the small catechism, Luther says, uh, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Think, now wait a second, you didn't say anything about day, you didn't say anything about work in there, what, what, what are you talking about? But Luther's getting at what the heart of the purpose of the Sabbath was. It wasn't to adjudicate what's work, what's not work, and try to be very legalistic about it. The point of the Sabbath is that you don't work so that God can work on you. So I think the, the short answer to it is things that keep you from resting and receiving from God. That's what, that's what work is. Because the purpose, the heart of the Sabbath is God saying, six days you shall work, but set aside this day, this temple and time, so that I can go to work on you by acting for you. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, I think there's still some value to the rhythm of a Sabbath rest uh, for your body and your family. Yeah. But actually the Sabbath is, since Jesus is no longer, hasn't been a day for 2,000 years. As right. A person. He is the Shabbat. He is the Shabbat. And so we always rest in him and we do no work in him. Right. Which is very, very different. Yes. Because part of the Shabbat starting with, and it, you know, the big deal in the, in the wilderness was, will God provide for me today or not? Because I have to go out and gather manna six days. But no, don't you dare on this day, you really need to believe I will have blessed you. And, and so it's always a faith day. It's a faith day. Yeah, that's right. So to look just briefly at that third rationale that's given to it then, in Exodus 31, it fills it out that here it's that gift of creation, a creational rationale, one for redemption. And then, if you will, a third article rationale, or the sanctification in uh, Exodus 31, verses 12 and following, the Lord said to Moses, you're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. And I think that goes along to what Bob's saying in terms of not just our um, temporal provision, but eternal provision has now been won for us in Christ Jesus, who has been made for us, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification. Because in Christ Jesus, God has sanctified you, set you apart, made you holy. He is our true Sabbath rest. And that transforms now our understanding of the, of the Sabbath. So... Um, so a picture of me after church on Sunday. <laughs> um, go to Hebrews chapter 4, which really, uh, author of Hebrews spells this out, but also uses a kind of paradoxical phrase. So Hebrews 4, uh, picking up with verse 3. We who have believed 
enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them that rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Jesus is our Sabbath rest so that now um, it, the Sabbath is not just one day, but we live what, so often as it's called today. We live in this eternal Sabbath of Christ Jesus. But it also said has that, that interesting kind of paradoxical phrase, let us strive or work to enter that rest. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask this question. How can rest take work? <laughs> strive to enter that rest. Work to rest, why don't you? But what's the wisdom that it is talking about here? How, how do these things kind of go hand in hand in a sense? Yeah. I don't think we understand what rest actually means because you know, I'm tired, I want to rest. Okay. Uh, was, you know, in Genesis, is God tired? Right. It, it's not a, that's not... It's not just a, it's not just a fatigue sort of thing, right. right? There's something more going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like charging your batteries. Like charging your batteries up. Well, that, for, for us as humans, not for yeah. God, obviously, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Anna and then Sandy. You that you have to be intentional about it. That you have to be intentional about it. That's you, the work, is the intention. That's the work, is the intentionality. Well put, yeah, yeah. So easy to say, like, oh, that needs to be done, and then just kind of take over. Yeah. You just have to not take over. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to not take over. <laughs> and, I mean, we think, oh, rest will just happen. And, like, you know, you think, oh, on the weekend will be resting time. And then it just ends up being a junk drawer of, of time, right? Where you just fill it with all kinds of other stuff. That's, sorry, is that too on the nose? Um, <laughs> where you're like, no, I have to have some intentionality to kind of carve out if I'm going to be able to rest. Yeah. Well, in the analogy that he's talking about are those that chose not to take God at his promise and enter the promised land. Uh, in this case, faith takes work. Yeah. To set aside my presuppositions, to set aside the easy route, which is me taking over and doing it, right. instead of having God do it. That, frankly, takes a lot of work to let God do it, to trust him. And, and if our Lord Jesus is our Shabbat, our Sabbath rest, it... In, in a real way, it goes against every ounce of my human nature, hmm. and that is to to let him be Savior, to be, let him be Lord. Let him be Lord, all my yeah. Cares upon him. That just takes a great deal of mental and emotional energy for me. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy to rest and to let him be Lord for us. Mm -hmm. But just think how many times... Jesus runs afoul of the religious leaders on Sabbath-related things. And he says in John 5.17, he says, My father is always working, and I also am working. See, this is what they don't understand, what they can't grapple with. It's such a profound statement of his divinity. 
Because he's saying, look, I am the, the creator God incarnate. I'm the one who's still working. Let me do my work, right? And he, he's healing on the Sabbath. He's showing us this is what Sabbath is for. It's for me to work and heal and restore you. But you would not. That's kind of the refer, recurring refrain, those words that we heard today. All right, let's keep going. Next, the Passover. I'm not going to spend as much time with the Passover because um, this is one of the more familiar, familiar ones. But let's uh, read these verses from Leviticus 23. <clears throat> Starting with verse 4, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So it would be like your, your occupation, right? your kind of normal livelihood. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Uh, it's a good opportunity to, to point out on the back here. I, it's not a great copy, but I just took this out of uh, my Lutheran study Bible. Some of you um, have, have this Bible, but a real helpful um, table here that just kind of spells out these different feasts and when they took place. Okay, So it says on the, the 14th day of the first month. So this is roughly, I mean, they're operating on a different calendar, but it, it's um, around this, this time of year, right? March, April, somewhere in there is roughly when this would happen. Now, interestingly, um, just as we have both a sacred or liturgical calendar and also a civil calendar, um, where you know, the beginning of our church year is when? What do we consider the beginning of the church year? Advent, right, which falls end of November, beginning of December, where, of course, the beginning of the civil year is January 1st. There's something similar going on with the Jewish year, where the beginning of their liturgical year, sacred year, was in uh, the, the month of Nisan, with, um, the, and the Passover was there in that first month. Uh, whereas then you also have kind of the beginning of the civil year, which was Rosh Hashanah. You're familiar with that. You've heard of that before, which literally means the head of the year which is the Feast, of Trump, the Feast of Trumpets, which is uh, to come up later here in Leviticus 23. But Passover, of course, is the, that primary foundational feast. So Sabbath forms the template, but then Passover is the, the Feast of Feasts, the remembrance of their redemption out of slavery as the angel of death passed over the homes that had the blood of the lamb painted on the threshold. And now ever after, they remember that day with the... Uh, uh, a day and then a seven-day feast of unleavened bread. Yeah, Hans? Yeah, the, uh, you had mentioned earlier that in Genesis they have the uh, lights in the sky that gave us time and seasons and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, we have Passover, which is, seems like it's like a month and a could be either in April or, right. or you know, it, it moves around. It's a movable feast. Because it's based on the moon. Yeah, that's right. And so it's based on those signs and seasons from from the lunar cycle as well. That's right. Yeah, that's it. It's interesting here where he says, you shall not do any ordinary work. Right. Now, what would be considered not ordinary, but I assume in this case, extraordinary. Right. Um, probably the, the things around the home, I mean, that sort of thing, kind of what uh, 
to what Hans was alluding to before. So by ordinary work, it means the work of your occupation. So your nine to five, you're not gonna do. Not that they had a, a nine to five kind of work schedule. Um, but uh, those other things around the home, they just weren't legislating to the, the way that the rabbis would later at this time. God's just saying, don't do any ordinary work, right? You guys can kind of sort out what that's going to, to look like, but uh, I think it would have been clear enough for, for them. So Christ are, is our Passover, right? This is a recurring theme. 1 Corinthians 5 brings us out especially that Christ is our Passover lamb. And in fact, for the early Christians, they didn't refer to the resurrection of our Lord, the feast of the resurrection as Easter. They called it Pesach, or uh, the Paschal feast. They called it Passover. And it became this kind of three-day feast um, with Monday Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Uh, but for them, Passover, Passover was fulfilled in the resurrection. We don't necessarily think this way, but to fully understand what's going on with, with Easter and all the gifts of Easter, um, we really see that, have to see that background of, of the Passover. And I was going to say, this is a good chance for a plug. Go ahead, Carla. The calendar, daily calendar that I'm using right now, I went to put Holy Weekend, and it's not Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Day. Yeah, right. That's how they title it. Yep. Yes. Yeah, the Resurrection oh, of the Lord. Yeah. That's right. We were, um, Ann and I were talking to uh, a, a, an acquaintance, new friend recently, and she was talking about um, picking out a movie for kids for Easter. And yeah, yeah Ann and I were kind of racking our brain. I don't know what you were, were thinking of, but maybe... Uh, like a VeggieTales one. We're, like, there's not a lot of good. We're trying to think of one. And then the, the gal we were talking to started naming off. She's like, well, there's Peter Rabbit. And there's, uh, and like that wasn't even on our radar. So we're thinking about, like trying to think of a good, you know. But for her, Easter was bunnies. And, oh. <laughs> Along those lines, two, two plugs to remind you of real quick for Holy Week. One is on Monday of Holy Week, we're going to... Uh, sponsor, along with some other Lutheran churches, a showing of the Passion of the Christ at the Garden Theater in Frankfurt. Um, and I know, it's like, it's not one that you want to like rewatch a ton. It's hard. Um, but I haven't seen it in a number of years. And I think it's one that if you haven't seen for, for a while, it'll be worth seeing again. We'll actually have tickets for it to make sure we got enough seats, but they'll be free. And um, that, there'll be more on that coming soon. That'll be on the Monday of Holy Week. I forget what the date is off the top of my head. But um, but the other thing is, then, on Monday Thursday, the night when Jesus um, instituted the Lord's Supper, we're going to have the, a Seder meal, which um, we've had in the past, didn't have it last year, I don't think. Um, but uh, uh, we'll have a Seder meal here, and that's always a really meaningful time, too, to deepen that understanding of the Pesach, the Passover feast, and how it's fulfilled in the events of our, our Lord's death and resurrection. So just uh, getting those things on your calendar there. All right. Let's, let's go on to some of these other feasts that are a little bit less well-known. So next we've got the Feast of First Fruits. And actually, this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the Passover. It's at the, the same time. It says, verse 9, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male, a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. 
and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until the same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. Okay, so here you have the uh, Feast of First Fruits, which happens after that Sabbath of the Passover. So it's kind of embedded, nested within that feast. But it's an opportunity to give thanks to God for just, again, this is the beginning of the, the growing season. This would have taken place in early spring where they have, you know, they have real spring over there in, in the Middle East. And so presenting that first sheaf of the barley harvest, okay? Just getting started with the, the first fruits. When we talk about, in New Testament terms, of first fruits, Paul especially picks up on the same language to think about how Jesus is our, our first fruits. And one place in particular, I think he does this in a really deft and theologically significant play, way. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter of the resurrection, says in verse 20, In fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. So let's think about this. What is the significance of a first fruit? What does a first fruit say? More to come. More to come, right? More to come. It's just the beginning of the harvest. And so when we talk about, go ahead, man. Well, I think it is also a faith gesture, too. Yes. Yeah, I mean, definitely more to come, but you're. You're trusting that there's going to be more to come. Right. Yes. And it's hard to let the best go. That's right. So it's the best. Right. I got, I'm going to take off the top. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to give the best away. You know, kind of, there. Okay, fine. Take it, Lord. Um, and so we talk about this in terms of, of our ties and our Christian life, of giving, giving to God our best. Um, we've alluded to this before where, you know, you don't give God the, the lamb with the broken leg, right? You're giving him, you're giving him the best and the first fruits kind of continue that theme. And I think when we think of Jesus himself as our first fruits, it fits with that, right? Because Jesus is, is our best, right? He is the son of God and the son of man. But I think, uh, especially here in first Corinthians, Paul is accenting that notion that of there being more, more to come. So Jesus is risen from the dead, and so you and I also shall rise. We have this kind of organic connection to him by faith, so that now, because we belong to him, a day is coming when he will return and, can, and finish the harvest, as it were. Yeah. What's fascinating about this piece is Jesus is our father's first fruits. Yes. He offered his son for his yeah. So it's all reversed. He's yeah. the one doing the sacrifice for his people and his people sacrificing. Ah, that's very well put. He's, he's the one doing the sacrificing. He's the one who's offering his best for the sake of the world and saying, here is mine, my son given for you. 
Yeah, Carla. We have a friend who was part of a farming community congregation, and they were quite deeply in debt. Mm. And so there was a man who ran the granary, and he said, if you will allow me to be the treasurer for one year, I can get you out of debt. Well, okay, let's do this. So the year goes by, and he presents this huge amount of money as the first fruits. And they, how'd you do that? He took a tenth of everything that came to his granary wow. from all the farmers. Huh. And so therefore, the congregation was out of debt, and they didn't even miss it. No. You know, it was, it was the, there he took care of that first fruit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a good lesson there. <laughs> For sure. So Christ is our, our first fruits, the, the best from God given for us, and also that promise, that foretaste, anticipation of the full harvest of the resurrection that is yet to come. And Jesus you know, uses that language in Matthew 13. He tells that parable that the, the harvest is still coming when the angels will come and, and reap uh, that last harvest for the Father. All right. Other thoughts or reflections on the Feast of First Fruits? Sorry, just kind of zipping, zipping through here, though. But don't hesitate to pause me. All right, then let's go next to the, first, the Feast of Weeks, picking up with verse 15 of Leviticus 23. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 15 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old, without blemish, and one bowl from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make proclamation on the same day. You shall build, hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It's a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. All right. So we call this the Feast of Weeks. The Hebrew uh, name for it is Shavuot which is just uh, the plural of Sabbath, Sabbaths. So they, their word for a week was a, a, a Sabbath. So it's seven Sabbaths, Shavuot. Uh, but this feast, which carries through into the New Testament, is better known by what name? Pentecost. 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 Uh, 50 days, yes, from the, from the Greek word for 50th. So this is the, this is the feast of, of Pentecost. And notice how it has this organic connection to Passover for them. Because Passover starts, you've got the first fruits, but in a sense, that feast of Passover is not fulfilled and completed until 50 days later, you have the feast of weeks. Now is the, the time when you're gathering in the harvest, and now you are, when you're reaping the harvest, you, don't, you, know, you, you also have that eye toward those who would be um, the outsiders. Don't reap the field right up to its edge. That in some sense, that fulfillment of the Passover feast comes in the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of the Harvest. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, man. I'm struggling with, like, the scope of what's actually going on here. Yeah. Because it mentions you, you, you. Some of it seems like 
pertaining to everyone, but I mean, there's a lot of animals involved here. It can't be coming from every house, so do you have any idea who all was doing this? Right. Was it tribes? Was it by tribes? Houses? So, so common person? Was it all wealthy people? Right. I mean, yeah, no, it's... No indication is, is given, it's just uh, the speech is spoken at the beginning of chapter 23, say to the, the people of Israel. And so, um, yeah, are they doing it by tribe versus household? I can't say for sure. Um, but, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like, yeah, this is, the scope of this is, is pretty broad. Uh, yeah, Passover would be by household, but this may not be. Passover would definitely be. Yeah, Passover was for sure by household, but perhaps uh, when it comes to the Feast of Weeks, it's more by tribe and clan. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. But it's done before the Lord. I mean, these, they show three, they're, they're to appear three times at the temple. Yes, right? that's right. And so this is one of those times when they're gathered there, so maybe it's a whole clan that comes together and they celebrate it. Right. They have kind of a co-op. What's fascinating here is if fast if the feast of first fruits is, in a sense, that's it's a memory of of the Jewish redemption because when they stand before the priest, they have to recite that prayer. I was a wandering Aramean, and we went yep. down to Egypt. We were oppressed for all these years, and you rescued us, and now we're in the land. Yeah. Whereas Pentecost is the feast, the same feast, if you will, but now it's the feast for the nation. Yes, yeah, exactly right. That and now... That's why he adds to it the sojourn of the widow. Uh, it's already a foretaste of the real Pentecost. That's that right. Comes when the nations are, and the Lord speaks in all those languages. That's right. So think of the significance of that first Christian Pentecost, if you will, in Acts chapter 2, uh, where it's the, the sending of the Holy Spirit. And now that uh, the, all the nations are able to hear the word of God spoken in their own language, right? That now at Pentecost, here is God's mission continuing out to all the nations. Um, so that as not only the creation, but we ourselves, it says in Romans 8, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, okay? So now that Spirit is connected to the first fruit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, that redemption won at uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus and that, that Passover now is being fulfilled in the sending of the Spirit and the mission of God going out to harvest all nations, to gather in all peoples into God's kingdom. And I just think it's beautiful how already in Leviticus, it's anticipating that with that kind of gesture toward um, those who are more on the, the margins of the community, saying this is where ultimately my blessing is going to go out to to all of them. So you've got the Feast of Weeks, you've got the, the Feast of Passover Unleavened Bread and the, the First Fruits. All of these are, are coming together and fulfilled in our Lord's ministry. And I want to give a little more time uh, to the Day of Atonement and to uh, the Feast of Booths. And so I'm just going to stop there for today. We'll pick up uh, with the rest of this in two weeks when I'm back. We'll finish chapter 23. If you have further questions on these feasts, I'm going to look into Matt's question as well. Uh, let me know and we'll keep going there. Enjoy Pastor Johnson next week and uh, yeah, thank you guys for being here and for your participation. Every Tennessee.